Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, and welcome everyone to the Greater Nurse Podcast. We have an amazing guest here today. We have been following her for quite some time on social media, and she's doing so many great things. So I would like to introduce Dr. Jennifer Kwan. She is a family physician from Burlington, Ontario. She completed family medicine residency training at McMaster University. Since the beginning of the pandemic, she has created COVID-19 graphs and shared on social media to help Ontarians stay safe by translating data into easy-to-understand visualizations using her Twitter handle at jquan underscore md. She is a co-founder of advocacy groups Masks for Canada and Docs for LTC Justice. Most recently, she's created 10 Out of 10 Movement, a mental health initiative. Dr. Kwan believes in public education to empower everyone to understand their own health. Welcome, Jennifer. We're so glad to have you here today. Thanks so much, Sarah and Amy, for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, you know, it's it's always great to meet the the face of the the brilliant minds behind, you know, the graphs and even those 10 out of 10 moments. So we're really happy to have you here today too. Um, before we jump in, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about yourself and just tell us about your journey into family medicine. Sure, yeah, I would love to. Um, so I'm a family doctor. I practice in uh, Burlington. I've been in my practice for about four years. Uh, prior to that, I had done all my training at McMaster University in Hamilton. So I just do kind of bread and butter family medicine from newborns to um, you know seniors and everything in between. And I do really love it. And I also started um, kind of sharing information on social media so that I could share messages to a broader audience over the pandemic. Awesome. Like, it sounds like you do so many things. I, I had a quick look at your website, and I, I know you do a few other things, but I'm really interested in the content that you're putting out, because that's sort of how Amy and I found you. It was so useful, I think, earlier in the pandemic, just to get that quick snapshot of what was happening. I think you took a lot of information and distilled it down into bite-sized um, information that people could understand. And I'm sure it is time-consuming, because you started out doing this daily, and now it's kind of three times a week. I'm just wondering um, if there was something in particular that got you started and what keeps you motivated to keep going. So I do remember in March of 2020 was when we were you know, back uh, in our normal lives, oblivious that something big was coming. 
And at that time, my relatives in Hong Kong were saying that they were having trouble buying masks and toilet paper for some reason. And um, I started getting concerned. I was hearing about this virus that was spreading exponentially. And uh, we were hearing reports about Italy being affected. And I felt like it would soon come to uh, Canada. So I wanted to um, first prepare uh, my clinics to get our supplies so that we can continue with patient care. Um, and I also wanted to see for myself what the situation was like. So uh, I'm not sure if you remember, but back in the day, there was like one web page from the government that would just have like the daily case numbers. But every mm -hmm. day, the would be replaced like so then you would have today's numbers but not yesterday's and you didn't know like what the trends were so right. I started graphing it and it just helped me to see what was happening and my dad actually suggested me to post on Twitter uh, to see if other people may be interested in um, seeing that as well. Wow, smart dad. It's <laughs> actually an excellent it was kind of like the, an excellent suggestion because I think that, you know, those graphs really helped a lot of people translate what was happening with the pandemic and I think, you know, it's it's one thing to to hear the the case counts day by day by day, but then to see some of the other information that you're putting out with your graphs as well, which were really like super helpful for myself and other people who were following. One of the things that we also noticed about you that we are we are very taken with and we wanted to kind of have a little bit more of a positive spin in terms of this episode is um, your 10 out of 10 moments. So could you tell us and our listeners a little bit about what the 10 out of 10 moment actually is? For sure. So the pandemic definitely is, you know, a very depressing and negative time. You know, everyone's lives have been affected. People have lost their jobs or businesses. It's, it's been so difficult. Right? And I'm sure as nurses that you guys are seeing such awful things happen every single day, you know, seeing patients suffer. So I wanted to kind of think about how we could contribute positively from a mental health perspective. Um, and one day I was just walking my dog and thinking like, when we used to go to restaurants, we would say, oh, this restaurant's like a 10 out of 10, like the food was so good. Or we would watch a movie and say, oh, this is like a 10 out of 10 movie. Um, but how come we don't uh, appreciate kind of just moments, you know, like the small moments in life that just make life beautiful, right? Even, for example, meeting each other on a podcast, you know, that's wonderful. Like being able to connect with the power of internet just to hear each other's perspectives, that's 10-10 for me. Um, or just, you know, coming home from work and having my dog greet me or, you know, the first shower after you go camping, you finally have hot water when you come home. So just right. kind of these little things. Yeah. Do, do you guys have any 10-10 moments that you like? I do. I mean, like, I've always felt like just appreciating the small things in life is really important, right? So, for example, I put my toast in and it toasts perfectly or, you know, <laughs> I have a really good hair day. I feel like it doesn't have to be these big grand things that cost a lot of money, right, or take a lot of time. And it's just about appreciating the small things in life. But I, I do think that when we're so into consuming the news, right, it's always putting you in a, in a negative um mindset and it's good to know what's happening but at the same time you need to balance it out with the good things in your life so I think that's super important I mean I did just come back from a weekend away so I've had lots of 10 out of 10 moments but like I said it doesn't it doesn't have to measure up to someone else's standard of what is 10 out of 10 it's really just about what makes you happy and what keeps you grounded and what keeps you going so I think it's really great and 
I mean, I even started watching TED Talks recently just to stay motivated and stay positive and, you know, be inspired again. Yeah. And I mean, I, if if I was to think about myself, like I think I think every day, like you said, we have these 10 out of 10 moments. And I think for me, the, the biggest 10 out of 10 moment is when my kids come in from whether it's lunch or after school and they all come in, they're like super excited. I'm just like, oh my gosh. And it's just that for me is always like a 10 out of 10. And then, or you know, we both share that we have, um, d- we have pets, we both have dogs. And of course, uh, my my dog, Chewy, he is, he is quite a character. And uh, um, definitely his greetings are always a 10 out of 10. And he's, he's very, he's, he's very pushy. I don't know, like your dog's a little bit uh, smaller than mine, but he will like, you know, put his head on my lap or put his head on my like shoulder. And it's just, it's just the cutest little thing. So I definitely can um, appreciate those 10 out of 10 moments. And I think that, you know, we, we need to stop to, to appreciate those. I think we've, we've forgotten really, to be honest, what those moments look like because everything is really, really stressful. Like I think about the news and I'm like, oh my God, I just don't even want to watch because everything is stressful. Like there's rarely good news, so to speak, that actually happens. And it's just, I think it's like, we need to stop to smell the roses again to, you know, enjoy that beautiful sunset or whatever it might be. But I think that this initiative that you've put forward is is super important. And I hope that a lot of other people can start connecting with it and sharing their 10 out of 10 moments as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I just like hearing your uh, 10, 10 moments just make me so happy and just remind me like, you're absolutely right. We don't have to be like buying expensive things or like going to expensive places to have these beautiful moments with like our family and our pets and you know, and I think as humans, we tend to sometimes focus on the negative things. Like, even if I come home from like a shift, I'm like, you know, I'm so tired, like, you know, all these things went wrong. But like, you know, lots of things go well, too. And sometimes just reframing that does help. Yeah. And I think surrounding yourself with positive people also helps because you feed off of each other's energy and you want to surround yourself with the type of people that inspire you to be that type of person. So I think that's really important. And also just having realistic expectations, I think, is important. So, for example, when I know that I'm driving through Toronto, I mentally prepare that it's (laughs) going to take really long and then I'm not upset. So, you know, I have my playlist. I make sure I have a full tank of gas. I might call someone to pass the time, but just knowing what you can and can't control and you're in control of your own emotions, right, and your own reaction to things. And that's something that you can always control. So that's something that I always like to live by. So I was just wondering, Jen, if you could tell us what sorts of feedback you've received on all these different initiatives, like the graphs, the 10 out of 10 moment. Um, what have people been saying to you? Uh, well, for uh, 10 10 moment, it seems like it's pretty positive reception. And I think that um, a lot of people are joining in and sharing you know, their own 10 10 moments. And it's so wonderful to me that it's not for people from any particular background right everyone's sharing like very different things like some people go on hikes like some people have you know like special moments with their family some people are just you know receiving some positive news about medical results some people go golfing like it's it's very um kind of across the spectrum and that's what i really love about it and i think even when you're scrolling on twitter or anything like every day is just kind of negative 
things, you know, people are complaining rightfully so about whatever is happening. Uh, but sometimes just breaking it up with some positive news, I definitely appreciate and I hope other people appreciate it as well. Yeah. And I mean, I like Sarah said, you, you you're into a lot of various different things too, in terms of, you know, the the ten the ten ten moments and some of the other advocacy work that you also do. So like one of the things that you had mentioned is you're also a co-founder of the advocacy groups Mass for Canada's and Docs for LTC Justice. Could you tell us a little bit about um those two different aspects and how did you get into um those various different things? Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually uh, new to advocacy, like prior to the pandemic, I never, well, I never even had Twitter. And I never had like a kind of public um, social media. Right, Um, right. But because in the pandemic, there's just so many issues that, you know, I felt like we should all contribute and do our part, right? Like, for example, with masks for Canada, I felt like, you know, we're in a pandemic of a respiratory virus. And why are people not wearing masks is something that's very low cost, low impact and could make a difference. Um, Not much harm, right? It's good benefit to risk ratio. So I thought, why are we not doing something about it? And the power of social media is that it connected me with other people who felt the same way um, across Canada, other physicians, other colleagues, um, you know, members of general public who were concerned. So we were able to form a group and create a petition and kind of provide solid information to help um, various government um, like uh, jurisdictions and businesses and just people in general have the right information to protect themselves. And same for docs for long-term care justice, right? When we were seeing that there were so many seniors in long-term care homes uh, suffering in isolation, um, getting infected, unfortunately, even passing away, um, you know, I felt like somebody had to speak out and kind of you know, make this a known issue to point to this and say, look, this is a problem. And why is the government not doing anything about this? And on social media, again, I was able to connect with people who felt that way, create a group. And, you know, as a group, your voice is stronger than when you're just one person saying something. I love that story because um, I think for me in particular, I also didn't grow up advocating. It wasn't really part of my upbringing. It wasn't part of my um, nursing school training either. And it was just really a couple years ago that Amy and I started this podcast and I started to find my voice. And I do think that social media is really powerful. So there's good and bad, of course, of social media, but but we choose to use it for good, to uh, spread our message, advocate for the healthcare profession, and really just share stories from people who have been marginalized as well. Um, So that's something that we like to do. And I think that it's crazy how far we've come, uh, you too, Jen, in terms of the pandemic and how many people are, you know, following you and really understanding your message and you're, you're really making a difference. So I think that's really great. Yeah, I think it's great for both of you too, right? And you're right, like just... I think when you start, you're thinking like, why would anyone listen to me, right? Like I'm just one person, like I'm a nurse or doctor or just a random person. But when you do create an audience on social media, then, you know, the media may become interested. Other people start listening and you have very important message. You're speaking for people who can't speak for themselves. So I'm sure that people are very grateful for the work you do. Yeah, and I don't think you have to have a certain personality type to be an advocate because what I always thought is that, you know, you have to have a certain personality type and I didn't think that was me, right? But 
there's room for diversity. It doesn't mean you have to check a certain box of someone you've seen before. You you can make a difference and nobody is looking for you to be somebody else. You just need to be yourself. And if you're genuine, I think people will, you know, your message will resonate with them. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that, I think, you know, as healthcare professionals, we might not even, like you said, Sarah, we don't typically see ourselves in those roles, but as healthcare professionals, we are always advocating for our patients. It's just, this is a, this takes on a different form where we are trying to be more social and political because we know that those things also impact and affect healthcare overall. One question I had for you, Jen, is, you know, um, in terms of some of the advocacy that you've, that you've done, is there any change that you would like to see? Or is there any changes that you, you have seen from some of the advocacy work that you've done? You know, the great part of advocacy is when you do see results. Of course, you can't always expect it, but it is great when it does happen. So especially with Master Canada, when the different jurisdictions across Canada started implementing uh, requirements for masks in high-risk settings. So that's what we were um, advocating for, right? Like indoor crowded spaces, uh, transit, um, and including upgrading masks uh, nowadays, especially in high-risk settings, including in healthcare settings, um, just for the better protection of patients and for healthcare professionals and um, just people to make that decision to protect themselves. So being able to see that happen was something that motivated me initially because I really thought that we can say all these things and nobody would really listen. But I was just impressed that it did um, kind of change people's minds and perspectives and hopefully it made a difference. I, of course, we'll never know exactly, you know, did we, you know, did we help? Did we like, you know, reduce the numbers? I guess we won't know, but I think that uh, we always hope that we did. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important, making a difference, because there's many different ways you can make a difference. Of course, you know, there's the quantitative versus the qualitative things that you hear from patients, right? You can't always quantify, even though they're telling you that it's made a difference. And I kind of wonder just, you know, you do so many different things. I, I saw that you also do medical missions to uh, China. And I think I mean, I'm sure when you're there, you can see the difference right away. Could you tell us a little bit about what your medical missions have been? For sure, yeah. Um, so unfortunately, during the pandemic, this has not been possible. Uh, but prior to the pandemic, I have been to two trips to the same place with a group called EMAS, E-M-A-S. So um, we would go to Kunming in China, and it's um, a very organized group. So we set up surgeries, uh, for example, for kids with uh, cleft lip, um, uh, cleft palate, with uh, people with serious burns. Uh, I remember patients with um, very serious like skin conditions where they would have kind of cancers everywhere. Um, in, in some um, areas, people are unable to access medical care, maybe for financial reasons. And the group would kind of provide these compassionate um, treatments and surgeries. And it really, like you said, you really do see an immediate difference, right? Like a child comes in with a cleft palate, um, some of them are even a little bit older than the ones that we would see here because they were unable to access care. And after the surgery, they recover, have a brand new smile, they go home. It is certainly very rewarding and it's also a little bit sad and scary to see that we're, we're so privileged in Canada to have a medical system where most things are free and accessible but 
um, it's not always the case for people around the world. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point in terms of even some of the things that we've been seeing, right? I, I think that we don't, we, we really take for granted the, the type of healthcare that we have. And we take for granted the fact that, you know, um, I'd say for the most part that we're trying to do the right thing and we're trying to kind of, you know, make sure that health outcomes are, are really good, but it's, it's really sad when, you know, um, we don't appreciate it and we turn a, we don't look to other countries to when support them there are those challenges with equity and and equality in terms of how healthcare is delivered but you know unfortunately canada can still complain about it <laughs> so i mean of course we can always make our systems better but i think there's a lot more work that we can do globally to you know change healthcare for everybody absolutely yeah so uh, Jen, was there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners? Maybe um, words of inspiration or just anything um, about the pandemic or staying positive? Um, well, if, if you want, I'd love to hear more about your experiences, you know, during the pandemic as well. Like I know you're both working as nurses, but you're not working in the same place. Is that correct? Yeah, we, we both yeah. have different roles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's it been like for you? Like, I'm, I'm sure it's been very busy and stressful. So yeah, like, I mean, in my in my role, I'm, I'm in quality improvement. So I have fortunately been given the emergency uh, services for the area that I work in. And um, it has been very, very challenging. I think the the hardest part of um, my role is making sh- like the, the whole part of my job is to make sure that, you know, patient and quality outcomes are our primary, primary goal. And um, the pandemic has caused substantial challenges to the emergency care delivery model. Like I, I remember hearing even some of my colleagues just saying that, you know, they feel that the emergency department is on fire. And it's like that every single day. It's mm-hmm. and it's really distressing because although I am I'm working as a nurse in a non-traditional role, there's only so much I could do in terms of quality improvement measures when, you know, really what people are trying to do is just provide care to patients coming in. Lots of challenges in terms of flow, so moving patients from the emergency departments up to up to beds on medicine units or, you know, to the ICU or wherever they might need to go. So I, I guess we would call that gridlock. And then just, you know, the mental health challenges with, you know, short short staffing. I think that's a challenge across the board. And it's just, I think, I think everybody, I, I think it'd be easy to say that everyone is beyond burnt out in the emergency departments. It's a very difficult place to be right now. Oh, so for sure. unfortunately, yeah. like not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you find that like you and your colleagues are supportive of one another despite being so burnt out? Like, is there a sense of camaraderie? I'd say that there is, but the thing is like, how, how much longer can, can we, can we continue with the system the way it is? Right. I mean, we're hearing nurses working 16 hour shifts, some nurses feeling that they can't leave or that they can't leave because there's nobody there to replace them. I do feel that nurses are really like do have a sense of camaraderie, but I think the the concern is how much longer can we continue to work with with less when there's more and more challenges. And for example, I saw um and I, I don't know if you've seen it today too on Twitter where Doug Ford had mentioned um all of these 
extra healthcare workers, he said in his post. And I was kind of like, well, you know, it would have been really great if you were specific to say, you know, we're getting, we're, we're somehow hiring 3,000 nurses or we're having 3,000 internationally educated nurses, but the statements are vague. We know that there's politics um, involved and we know that there's an upcoming election. And I think nurses are really tired of of the crap that they're seeing and they, we, they are desiring and needing change. And I'm just, I don't know, I'm, I, I don't want to put negative feelings out there. I really want to see the best. I want to see change, but I, I'm not too sure if we can continue to do that under the government that we are currently under. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly at the end of the day, it's the patients that are going to be suffering when the yes. healthcare system's underfunded and you know, staffing shortages are getting worse and everyone is so burnt out, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they build new hospitals and provide beds, but, you know, there's years and years of built up shortages and it's it's hard for anyone to fix that. But I think that's why your voices are so important, right? You're kind of talking about the issues and that makes it kind of uh, brings it to the forefront when there are election uh, concerns being brought up. Yeah, I, I did. I did also see and I think I don't know if you saw it too, Sarah, that the um, the CNA, so um, the Canadian um, Asso- Association of Nurses, they're working on, I guess, with Justin Trudeau, a formalized uh, nursing, um, like a chief executive nursing officer, federal role. Um, and of course, it's, it's one person. And I'm, o- I'm always concerned, like, I think it's a great idea, theoretically. But what does this person do? How are they going to inform change? Is it going to be more and more of the same? And I, I'm I'm always concerned that like, you know, when it comes to these types of roles, do, are we ensuring that there's equity as a focus that, you know, nursing voice is a focus? Because what, what was lost primarily before, and um, I really don't want that to happen now, is there are a lot of frontline nurses telling it how it is. It's so hard to be an executive who hasn't worked at the front lines for years and years to tell people how nursing had should change or evolve when they're not in it. And I'm really concerned about these types of roles because, you know, they put up all these quid pro quos and, and who's supposed to be like, what are the job descriptions for uh, or qualifications for this individual? And I think it's going to weed out a lot of really great people and candidates that could be potentially being in a role like that. Because I think we we definitely need someone to come in and shake things up. I'm probably not going to be that person. I am not applying for that job. Um, but I do think that, you know, whoever they choose and whoever they select, I really hope that they have a really good vision for what nursing should look like in the 21st century because we can't we can't have more of the same. Yeah, and I think it's important that this person, whoever it is, isn't just a figurehead and isn't just checking right. off a box, that they not only have a seat at the table, but their thoughts and opinions are being listened to because the worst part is that you tell somebody that they're going to make a difference, but really at the end of the day, they're just trying to they're trying to have their voice heard and they're not being heard. And that has happened so often in nursing, the the fear and the silencing. And we really need 
at this point, I think it's it's been a very dark place for nursing and for healthcare in general. And we really need to see some positive change. And I always say that if there was a word for beyond burnout, hmm. that's what we've been for the past two years. So I don't even know what this word is. Maybe we need to invent a new word, but that's where we're at. And I think just going back to um, my experience with the pandemic, um, because I work in home and community care, um, there's been a real push for virtual care. And I think there's good and bad um, aspects to virtual care. A lot of it is good, right? Because we can avoid that uh, face-to-face contact. But I do feel like a lot of patients fall through the cracks that way because you can't always do a proper assessment um, over the phone or over uh, a computer screen. So I think that there is a time and place for it, but it's not for every situation. I do think the pandemic has also made people take infection prevention and control more seriously because I am the co-lead of um, infection prevention and control at my organization. And before, nobody seemed to care about hand hygiene or PPE or um, alcohol-based hand rub. And now people actually understand, right? Because it's not just me nagging you to do your hand hygiene. It's like this actually has tangible results now. And it's not just... um, you know, auditing for certain things or talking to patients about their complaints, but it's like, well, this actually does affect you. And um, in terms of the amount of staff that are off right now, like it's it's really hard, like Amy said, to make any change because everybody's time and energy is going towards um, just making sure we have enough staff to get through the next day. So right, yeah. I really feel like we're losing a little bit of capacity for innovation, but I think that as long as we keep going and, you know, we uh, we continue to do what's right and put resources where they need to be, I think that will that will change. I, I think that it is interesting. Yeah, like we didn't we always told people to like wash their hands and stuff, but it sounds like everyone's actually profoundly using that hand sanitizer. Right. And I, I think that um, when you say beyond burnout, so there is this analogy I was thinking about where. You know, I feel like sometimes when you're like spreading peanut butter on a piece of toast, because you mentioned toast. So um, <laughs> you, sometimes like I feel like, you know, when you spread it and there's like not enough uh, peanut butter and you just kind of seed a toast through the peanut butter because <laughs> yeah. you don't have enough and you're trying to like smear it so it covers the bread, right? Yeah. Um, I actually brought this up. Um, I was discussing with Dr. Samantha Hill at the OME. And then what she said really struck me. She said, well, that's why we have to share our peanut butter. So if someone has more peanut butter, then you can share it with someone else so that they can cover their bread. And if you have extra, you can share it. If you need more, you can ask for it. So I think that's one way that we can support one another. Um, But at the end of the day, if there's not enough peanut butter for anybody, then we are in big trouble. It's that it's that deficit, right? The the peanut butter deficit. We have a we have a nursing deficit that we need to to address. And I think that you know I really hope that again, just circling back to this position, whatever this might look like, that you know at the end of the day, we we need to see policy change. Policy change mm-hmm. is really what's going to change the workforce, change the way that nurses and healthcare we we do things. And I, I love that analogy. And I think that, you know, we could even take that down like a mental health road too, where, you know, maybe if your your peanut butter that you're spreading is not covering your bread, maybe it's time to take a break. Maybe you you just don't have enough peanut butter. So you need to take some time and, you know, maybe someone will share some with you. Maybe you can take some time to get some more at the store, but it's a, it's a good analogy to say, you know, if, if you, if you don't have enough, maybe it's time to 
take a rest and uh, see what you could do for for yourself. Because I think a lot of people have really forgotten how to take care of themselves during this entire pandemic. Oh, for sure. And I think the peanut butter, we're all scraping the bottom now. And we're, you know, like, we're even trying to get it from the lid, and it's just not happening. So I think that for nursing, um, mental health was already a struggle before the pandemic. And I think that not everybody knew that, especially the public, but now there's more awareness. And um, hopefully that will lead to some more positive change. And just nurses even being able to advocate for themselves and recognize when they can't give any more is it's really important. Yeah. Exactly. And as healthcare professionals, like we always take care of other people, but we don't take care of ourselves. So absolutely. Yes, I think we are recognizing the importance of self-care as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Kwan, for coming on to the Gritty Nurse Podcast. We really appreciate your insight, your work, your dedication, all those graphs. Don't do too many. <laughs> you got to make sure that you take time for yourselves. And and definitely those 10-10 those moments. I think we, we, again, need to revisit that. If you have a moment, visit her on Twitter. Her handle is jquan underscore md and and share a, a 10 10 moment because it's really important to make sure that we're taking care of our own mental health as well during this time thanks so much for uh, having me on i really love hearing your perspective and i can't wait to see uh, what the both of you will do in the future oh, thank you thank you thanks so much for coming on